In our last episode, we reported that the Digital Economies Act would be coming into force this July. In late June, it was announced that the government have postponed this indefinitely due to regulatory problems. Hello, welcome to Tech Point Zero, your popular technology show with Chris and Ben. Your list episode four, released July 2019. My name is Ben, and as ever, I'm joined by Chris. In this episode, we'll be talking with Chad about changing their name and how systems often are designed for it, and discussing the release of the new Raspberry Pi 4. Let's get to it. So at the end of last month, the Raspberry Pi Foundation announced that they had released the Raspberry Pi 4, and we thought we'd like to have a little bit of a chat about it. I'm, I'm really excited to get my hands on one of these. Not, not sure if I'm going to. One of the first tweets I saw about this was from you, Chris, and I think the tweet went something along the lines of, me, I don't know where my last Raspberry Pi went. Also me, I really want the new Raspberry Pi. Yeah, it was, it was I don't have any use for my existing Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> it's not do, doing anything, uh, or at least one of them isn't doing anything in the uh, drawer. So I think perhaps uh, the first thing to start with is, what are the core differences between the 4 and the previous generation, the Raspberry Pi 3? And I suppose the big thing that, that people are going to, to immediately see is the fact that it's now got support for dual screens, thanks to a GPU upgrade. Well, there's a GPU upgrade, and then there's the uh, micro HDMI ports, which is, I don't know, it feels a bit risky in terms of like it's another adapter, people need to use it. I might have one in my drawer, I don't know. But it does give you this, this dual monitor support. 4K for one monitor, but I think you can only do that at 30 FPS. So it's a bit it's a bit restrictive at that stage. Like two I mean there again, two 4K monitors is pretty extravagant anyway. Off a $35 computer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but two like uh 2K monitors would be glorious. Like I don't even have that on my desktop PC. Hopefully the GPU upgrade as well is gonna add some additional power. Apparently there's GPU backed rendering in Chrome and Firefox. So you'll be able to get all the, the OpenGL rendering for the videos. The desktop experience is said, I, I haven't seen this yet, but it's supposed to be sort of equivalent to sort of low entry laptop or Chromebook kind of level. So it should actually be usable as a desktop. It's definitely encroaching on, on those low end x86 laptops. And also a lot of the marketing around this is targeted at desktop use, which I thought was very interesting. I don't know how many people are actually going to replace it with a desktop. Maybe, maybe that person who, I don't know, they've got a family member or themselves or whatever, they're, they're happy kind of setting it up and doing some some fiddling. But they don't really do much on a desktop. Like most of what they use is like the stuff that you can do on your phone and your tablet. And and they just want that desktop just for the odd thing that's easier on the desktop. You know, where they occasionally want to sit down on the keyboard or mouse. I almost perhaps see it being like a Chromebook for hobbyists. Yeah, that kind of thing. This is also the first model that we've been able to choose how much RAM we put in it. And we've got some different slots. We've got one gigabyte, two gigabytes, and four gigabytes. Each step gives you a jump of £10 or $10 in price, which is pretty reasonable. I mean, I think when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, that's a bit steep for a RAM increase. But you're still getting a computer for less than £60. Yeah, I, I thought that's uh, that was a bit steep. I sort of had the same reaction. And then I realized that the, the last RAM increase again doubles the RAM. So you're getting the same as you already got. But for an extra tenner, like, you, yeah, the, the, the sort of price per gig seems to be best at the, the higher end, the four gig kind of range. There's, there's, that seems to be the, the best efficiency there. Four gigs, you can do an awful lot with, like, uh, well, there's other, other spec changes as well we'll talk about later on. But it seems like it would now make a really decent NAS sort of server host at least for 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 home nas like it's not gonna not gonna necessarily uh run a big office now or anything but if you just want to put some 
movies on there or some family files, then I think that's quite a reasonable kind of level of performance, especially with the, the processor it's got now. When I'm when I'm looking at these specs, I'm kind of also thinking about my VPS that I have. And these specs are very much rivaling those of my my VPS. I mean, fine, it's a it's a big Xeon server, but in terms of amounts of RAM and, and CPU cores, it's kind of on par. And I run about nine different applications on that that VPS server. So, you know, the the, the thoughts of that I could perhaps bring all that in-house for £54 is that's that's very interesting. I've had sort of similar ideas myself. I've, I've jumped backwards and forwards between self-hosting stuff at home and sort of installing on a VPS. I think then for me, there's a convenience aspect to the VPS that probably keeps me there more than on the Raspberry Pi. But it's, it's definitely capable of hosting multiple web applications at the same time. You might actually, this this I've just realized looking at the RAM, if you have the 4 gig model, you might be able to run GitLab on this, which is, is normally like 2 to 4 gig kind of minimum level you're probably not going to run it again for a big team it's not going to do office level kind of yeah multiple people pushing to it all at the same time uh, and it might it might not run your ci but as a as a nice sort of git interface that that's good that's that's nice and easy so i read a tweet earlier that said that the raspberry pi foundation website i think was actually hosted on a cluster of raspberry pi 4s yeah, as I saw that, they, they switched over at the same time. That's definitely dog-fooding your own product. Yeah, very much so, yeah. I, want, I don't know, because I know the earlier Raspberry Pis, I don't know when they fixed this or if they have fixed it yet. I know the earlier Raspberry Pis had problems with um, the SD cards not being very reliable or, or the data getting corrupted. don't know if they fixed that or they just plug in hard drives. I've got a feeling that this doesn't, I think this might do netbooting. Yes, it does now because of the gigabit Ethernet. Yeah, so um, a lack of SD card means they don't have... Uh, Local storage, everything's networked based, which is fine for a sort of server environment. Yeah, if you if you set up by that, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip to the the Ethernet in that case then, because it was something that was always kind of limiting for the Raspberry Pi for me. In that the Ethernet used to run off the USB hub, and it now runs off a separate controller, so it's got a dedicated controller, and it can do true gigabit Ethernet. It's absolutely brilliant. There's so many more applications that opens up. That's part of the reason it would work, hopefully work well as a NAS host. That my dream is to <laughs> be able to use it as a little router at some point. I like put like a cut down PF sensors or WRT on it. Having those USB three ports, and there is only two of them, that allows you to probably hang off an additional two network interfaces if you want to, giving you more uh, potential for for having a you know an in and an out for a router. I think it's definitely borderline because you could have one of the interfaces on with the faster interface on the Ethernet side, and then the USB three interface for uh, using the uh, the other side of the router. And and yeah, you could get a router out of that. And I'm, I'm sure the OpenWRT people, if it's practical or usable, are going to find a way of getting that set up. I did also find USB Ethernet adapters can be quite unreliable, especially the cheaper end. So yeah, you might be able to build a mini router here. I'm not sure if it's yet going to be doing sort of deep packing inspection or uh, quality of service. <laughs> the level of performance is that. So none of it would be offloaded onto hardware. It would all, all just be on the CPU. But it's definitely exciting that we can you can start to have a very cheap router that you build yourself. And that being said, you've got two USB 3 ports on this thing. It's true USB 3. So that's two external hard drives attached. USB 3, I understand, is faster than a spinny drive will get you data. So that, again, really gives you potential for building a NAS out of this thing. Yeah, you can you can have a NAS with two drives attached. Not sure how well mirroring would work between them. That's the, the one situation where I'm kind of like, oh, that might be a bit of a, a kicker from a backup perspective. Because when I believe the USB 3 ports are still connected to the same controller. So bandwidth would be shared between them. So... 
if you're writing to both disks at the same time, your bandwidth will be cut in half. And I don't know if there's enough overhead there to, to make that work. There might, there might well be. What else? We've got the uh, 1.5 gigahertz processor, which I believe is now a 28 nanometer process. Yep. So the reduction from a 40 nanometer silicon gives us the power efficiency that we need to cram more transistors into the, the same die and gives us a better efficiency all round and, uh, and a bit better performance as well. I think up to about three times the blog said. Uh, three times is like the top end for ide- idealized applications. I think most of the benchmarks coming out about twice as fast. Uh, that being said, I was surprised to find out that people have managed to overclock this already to uh, 1.7 and a half ish, so 1.75 gigahertz. And that's a pretty substantial increase. With Raspberry Pi 1, 2, and 3, every time they upgraded it, it just took out more of that thermal room they had. The, the CPU got hotter and hotter and hotter every single time. And it appears they've made this performance increase without actually increasing the amount of heat generated by the CPU. And I bet that that is in part due to the reduction in the transistor size. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine that's the process change. So also in the Raspberry Pi 4, we get Bluetooth 5. Um, I'm not entirely sure on the benefits of Bluetooth 5 over the previous generation. The only benefit I'm aware of is uh, I think you get native uh, multi-pairing mode. So you can pair a single host device to multiple speakers, and it's just built into the protocol. So anything that implements Bluetooth 5 would have to implement that. I don't know how this, how reliable the syncing of it is, but if uh, maybe you're both, yeah, you know, two two people are watching the same film at the same time, you can both listen at the same time because you can connect two sets of Bluetooth headphones. That's the kind of main application for it. So to power all of this new fancy kit, we've got a change from the old uh, micro USB up to a new USB-C charging port, which gives us 500 milliamps of extra power, which will also allow us to give a a full 1.2 volts on the USB ports, which I don't think was possible before at full load. No, I don't think they could power the USB devices and have the CPU at max power on the previous ones. It would tend to create like hard resets on the device rather than anything graceful. Uh, I think this makes it kind of difficult to do that now. I don't know if it's impossible. I don't know if you can still overload it. But uh, yeah, it definitely gives you more headroom to play with from a power usage point of view. The Raspberry Pi Foundation found that there was a difficulty getting reasonable priced USB-C chargers. So they have teamed up with an external company to uh, make sure that they are able to offer USB-C power adapters straight from the wall to USB-C for all the most common power adapters. So European, UK, US and Australian. So they will be able to be bought along with your new Raspberry Pi. Yeah, the the USB-C is an interesting one. I'm, I'm kind of surprised we didn't see three USB-C ports. So two for the display and one for power. To go with that, I was perhaps surprised that maybe we saw USB 3 and didn't go straight to, yeah, a couple of USB-C ports. Oh, like go, just go full out USB-C on, on you know, all over the place sort of thing. Absolutely, yes, because we'd have, you could have then had Dongle City, you know, you could have had all the dongles. It does seem to hit, fit that kind of uh, sort of home hacker kind of situation. Like, you, you while it's not ideal in a MacBook scenario where you don't want to be carrying lots and lots of dongles around with you, with the Raspberry Pi, you can kind of put it in a case, you can put it in a box, the dongles can be fairly small, and that makes it a lot more flexible in what you can connect to it. I imagine then that we might see uh, more USB-C ports on the next generation Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I'm hoping that's a trend that continues. We start doing it for display, we start doing it for the input. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Okay, so the 
other thing is they haven't really increased the price with this generation. If you want, if you want to step up to the four gig tier and buy buy a more expensive Raspberry Pi, it definitely is more expensive than it has been. Uh, I think fifty five pounds, fifty four pounds, fifty five dollars. But if you actually look at the sort of two price points, so the one gig and the two gig, that's still thirty five pounds and. £45, and I actually looked up the release price for the Raspberry Pi adjusted for inflation, was £40, which is sort of bang in the middle of those two. So in real terms, it's come down in price. In real terms, the cheaper end, the one gig end, has definitely come down in price. And you get more for it as well, because you still get four cores, 1.5 gigs, and, and a gig RAM. But yeah, the average point between them is, is exactly the release price, so you can kind of pay a little bit more and get double the RAM, uh, or pay a little bit less and and save you money. The four gig version, I think we might find, I, I don't know, I wonder if it's a little bit over spec, like it's there for a specific applications that need it. Like we're talking about the NAS sort of application. But I think if I, I think there's plenty of applications that I'd have in mind, say running a web server that do not need four gigs of RAM. And it might be a little bit silly buying that at times. I think that it's perhaps one of those things that we probably all have enough Raspberry Pis sitting around that are first and second generation Raspberry Pis that it might even be worth, if you have the spare £10, buying the 4 gig because it might eke it out to real-term use for an extra couple of years. Going for the 1 gig, I think that you know, you're, you're still looking at very specific applications for that and you may find it difficult to repurpose that in the future. I just, I just think because they they've talked about the production they did. So they've, I think they mainly made two gigabyte models. Yes. And I've been surprised to find that people go for the four gigabyte. And I think, yeah, uh, people with a lot of fair amount of disposable income are going to just spend it on the most they can get because then it doesn't matter if it goes wrong and if they've wasted some money, they've only wasted a tenner. But I, can't, I think I understand the logic of the two gigabyte version will be the most popular. If you look at how the system is balanced, if you were building a PC, if you were designing the spec, you would try and keep all the parts balanced. You know, you don't want to put too much RAM in a slow system. You want to spend your money evenly. And I think that two gig model is in that spot. Like it's, it's where that is. So I totally understand why they thought that was going to be the more popular one. Turns out everybody has gone out and bought the four gig version and you now can't buy it anywhere. It's out of stock pretty much everywhere, I think. So I believe that, uh, so when I was having a poke around earlier, the in a number of places, the one gigabyte model is also out of stock. So maybe it's just a fact that, that obviously we don't have figures at the moment, but we could find that day one purchasing was fairly even across the three models. It's just that the, the fact that they did produce more two gigabyte models meant that we still have some around here at about quarter to nine in the evening to uh, to actually purchase. So something else I wanted to talk about is really who the Raspberry Pi is designed for. And it's interesting every time they've done an upgrade in this one specifically, the things they upgrade are generally adding features that I see industrial and hobbyist consumers wanting. So the dual screen support, the better, certainly the better Ethernet more RAM or RAM options. The In the release announcement, they were they really stressed that it was it still uh, supported power over Ethernet. So you could still put a hat on it and power it remotely. And, and this all sort of seems, it doesn't seem like stuff that would be that important in the education market. I would, my understanding is that the education market would benefit from cheaper total cost of ownership. So reducing the price of the monitor, the keyboard, everything else that goes along with it. Uh, easier setup, better instructions for teachers, uh, better materials and the Raspberry Pi Foundation does produce some of that but it, i think they've definitely had to pivot their focus uh, over the years towards the people that are buying the devices i think it's a real shame because i think there are probably two things at play at least one is because industry and hobbyists will be more savvy 
to their needs, I imagine that they are the most vocal. And so they're the users that the Raspberry Pi Foundation hear from. Secondly, as you just said, the industry must buy hundreds upon thousands of these things. And schools will buy a lot, but they don't have the budgets to, to buy half as many, I imagine, as industry would. I wonder if the USB-C functionality we were talking about would be better for schools in terms of enabling easier and more modular sort of plugging in the devices. Like the GPIO pins are really interesting, really fun for a certain type of person, a certain type of interest. But some people will just want to plug the device in and then be like, oh, look, I can control this camera or I can, I can get this temperature sensor. And that's not really there with the existing USB devices. I wonder if that is also a case of, so we've seen a lot of famously the MacBook, whatever it was, came out a year or two ago and you know it's only got a single or two USB-C ports and that's it. But I have still yet to really see, I think I've seen one in the wild USB-C pen drive. I haven't seen an awful lot of USB-C first peripherals. I've seen lots of things that, that will plug into your adapter. But although the market is moving in that direction, it's not 100% USB-C yet. And so I think that while next year or the year after, definitely 100%, I wonder if maybe it was the foundation uh, being maybe a little bit short-sighted. That, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. I, I, I suppose a bit more current-sighted when it comes to education that actually USB-C is not going to help them yet. Yeah, sure. The um, interesting comment I just want to add to the USB-C thing. The, the main driver of it is, like it has been through for USB devices for a very long time now, is mobile phones. Mobile phone manufacturers want to make their devices thinner. So every time there's a new USB standard, it tends to allow for thinner phones. They release them and the phone release is what drives the accessory release, not the other way around. And that's why we end up standardizing on, on such a sort of on relatively quickly, like if you kind of <laughs> go back to 10, 20 years to uh, yeah, computer uh, sort of ports, the, the selection of ports was much larger and you'd have a different port for every job on the computer. And now it's pretty much almost USB and hopefully soon will be entirely USB-C. So your personal projects, have you got anything you want to be running on a Raspberry Pi 4, Ben? So the only thing, and I'm a little ashamed to say this because a lot of people will meet me and, and ask, you know, so what am I doing with the Raspberry Pi? Unfortunately, very little. I used to run my DHCP server on Raspberry Pi. But the thing that I actually really love the Raspberry Pi for is RetroPi, which is a bit of software that you can put on your Raspberry Pi. And it has a collection of emulators on there for old games consoles. So I can replay my old SNES games and even some PlayStation 1 and a couple of N64 games. But the Raspberry Pi 3 really is limited when it comes to playing that sort of generation of, of game. So I'm really kind of hoping that if I get a, a Raspberry Pi 4 and perhaps even a 4 gigabyte model, which will give it just an extra bit of RAM to, to cache things in, that that could actually push the performance up to, to play maybe N64, PlayStation 1, possibly even maybe some PlayStation 2 generation games. It's going to make a great emulator to machine sort of soundy uh, tv in a nice little case and just to revisit the uh, nas potential as well although it's perhaps a little too small for me i've got um, a ray z volume sitting behind me on the floor uh, waiting for a, a computer to power it the raspberry pi 3 was just about powerful enough to run zfs so the raspberry pi 4 will have you know all, all the power you need to, to run a small uh, zfs system and that's quite uh, quite attractive as well I think it'll also be good for where Node-RED that we talked about in an earlier episode, like being able to build more complex flows, maybe more memory intensive, 
if you're doing anything a little bit more serious, I think that could be really useful there. Or just simply like, being able to run multiple applications at the same time. I suppose as well, uh, could you extend that, given that it's got extra power as well, if you needed to power anything directly off of it? Yeah, definitely. The other thing I'm interested in, I, I used to use Raspberry Pi 3 for running Kodi. And I recently went back to it. Uh, just to sort of see kind of what happened, reinstalled it on a Raspberry Pi uh, 3. And I don't know if my expectations have changed or if like Cody's had more functionality added or what happened, but it definitely felt laggier than I remember. Like like the res- it wasn't as fluid and responsive as it used to be. It had, it had its moments, but it was, it was yeah, it wasn't, wasn't what I remembered. And I'm, I'm just hoping that the change in the GPU and the changes in the CPU, like the you know, doubling the performance, I, th- I think that should be enough to bring it back to a level that is really quite usable. Uh, kind of, <laughs> we've got the uh, the Amazon Fire Sticks watching Amazon Prime, and they're they're worse than Cody. They're slower and laggier than Cody is today on a Raspberry Pi three. And and I kind of think this is going to show them up. Like similarly priced device, and hopefully as smooth, if not some, well, hopefully smoother than the the existing. Cody, which is already smoother than the Fire Stick. Not only that, but with the 4K display now, you can uh, power a bigger and better TV than you could before. I wonder how much of this has on that. Like, I don't, I don't kind of think of them as competitive and not really alternative. Uh, they don't really substitute goods in that way, but it definitely demonstrates what's possible with a relatively cheap device. And I can sort of see Google and Amazon looking at that and trying to reduce the price of their existing because they've got existing 4k solutions that are just a bit more expensive like sort of 60 70 80 sort of pounds i think the big draw that they still have versus a raspberry pi is that the the kindle fire stick just literally sticks into your hdmi port on your tv uh this still requires a clutter of cables to properly function and i think that perhaps for some people that's maybe less attractive with the with the wi-fi does it really like only in the sense that you're not probably going to get a really small HDMI cable and hang it behind the TV. It's going to have to be mounted. There's going to be a length of cable there. Yeah, it's not it's not quite as quick and clean and easy. Perhaps then you add a nice case that adds an extra bit of cost as well. And, you know, maybe it's not quite as competitive. I think the interesting... I don't, I don't think it's a substitute good. I don't think it's competitive or in the same market at all. I think what it does do, though, is demonstrate what can be done. It's sort of the building block for the engineers that are building those devices. And when you you sort of... Here is the spec. This is how well it runs Cody. And Cody, like, like it's skinnable, so it, it tends to... There's an added cost to doing that in terms of processing the UI and everything. So it's, I don't imagine it's as fast as you could build it. And I would be shocked if this struggles with Cody at all. And at four, £45, that's, that's a lot cheaper than some of our alternatives from Google and Amazon. Another personal project that I'm kind of, as we speak, kind of uh, kind of brainstorming is if I get one to replace the Raspberry Pi 3 in my RetroPie, I might actually give it a run as a, as a small desktop box because actually, if it serves my day-to-day, having a Raspberry Pi desktop that basically consumes no power at all to do my web surfing and, and things like that and only switching a desktop on when I need some grunt, that's actually kind of, kind of appealing. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of instant boot as well because you can probably afford to just leave it on. Today we've got Chad with us to discuss changing your name and real name policies. My name's Chad. I'm a. I used to be a developer, but then I got better, and so now I'm a user researcher for a public body, which shall remain nameless. 
Yeah, I usually talk some things about gender and I thought, well, I don't want to keep talking about gender. I'm bored now. I should have just got the hang of it. But I thought I wanted to talk about names because it's kind of related and it's kind of an experience I've had recently. So a couple of years ago, I changed my name by deed poll for kind of social reasons. I changed my first name and I thought while I'm there, I'll add a middle name, which was a massive mistake. Even though I now have the <laughs> coolest name, it's confused everybody in the world. And actually that experience of kind of being three years later, two years later, still having my old name pop up occasionally when I do stuff is just still like just so bizarre and then I've been thinking about it a lot because I hang out on Reddit a lot for my sins and there's a lot of kids especially in kind of the transgender community who don't understand the name changing process and have kind of like myths and stuff about it and I always feel like I'm having to jump in and tell them to like this isn't the right way to do it or you don't need this or you do need that and what's kind of weird about it is that in the UK we don't have legal names like okay. we, we attach a lot of social importance to names, but there's no such thing as a legal name. Your name is literally the things that people call you. So there's nothing inherently illegal about having multiple names. It's only really illegal if you use it to get stuff. Okay. So if you kind of, you know, you you know, you sign up for services multiple times with different names to get, you know, new customer discounts, yep. that kind of stuff, right? But that's just like fraud. It's, it's not really related to names. And then the thing I found quite weird about it was because we don't have legal names and technically the only thing I have to do to change my name is to go to the bank and go, oh, by the way, I'm this person now. But banks don't do that because nobody does that because everyone really likes documentation so you get a thing called a deed poll which companies will trick you into paying for and I was tricked into paying for um, but you can do a deed poll for free it's just, you literally okay. just write a thing down that goes I'm not going to use this old name anymore this is my name now thanks yep. you might get someone to sign it if you're feeling fancy uh, you might pay a tenner for a solicitor to sign it so I changed my surname a couple of years ago to incorporate my wife's and we went through the government, which did cost something. And you get a, a fancy sort of, I say fancy, a scrap of paper, really, that, that they've stamped. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of misinformation that I felt online because like you, I saw companies saying, pay us just £300 and we'll do your deed poll for you. All the way down to, yeah, you just write it on a napkin that you'd announce your old name. <laughs> it was quite difficult, really, to find what the correct path was. Yeah, because so you can get a thing called an enrolled deed poll, where basically, I think, it, I can't remember what it is, but I think you, you go through government and you get, it basically becomes a matter of public record, so someone can go look you up, essentially, and go, when did this person change their name? And it goes in the London Gazette, very posh. That's the one. So yeah, so people can kind of look you up and go... And it will, there'll be a little public record that says so-and-so from What's It Place is now known by so-and-so at What's It Place because the address matters um, for some reason. You only have to do that if you want to be looked up in the public record. I think kind of I people see. of high prominence will do it because it's to do with like, you know, transference of titles or whatever. But assuming you're not a lord that. or a viscount or something, I don't know. I've just realised that's exactly what I did. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so... Um, I, I'm not a lord or a viscount. <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of people don't realise that you don't have to do that. I paid for like a £30 deed poll, which mm. I didn't have to, but it has a shiny stamp on it, so places will accept it. I I don't know, like it's got an embossed thing on it. So the, the thing that I found weird was, first of all, the mistake that everybody makes is to do the passport first, because you think, ah, oh, passports are super important, because you use them to prove mm. your identity for everything. So I do my passport first, and I was invited to speak at a conference and so I only had a short amount of time to change my passport so I had to do like you know the go to Liverpool for the day when it was rail replacement which was so not fun <laughs> so the problem occurred when actually you need to do your passport last because what you need for your passport is proof that you're living in that name so you don't just need the depot you need like bank statements or mm. tenancy agreements or that kind of fun stuff which I didn't have because I decided to change my passport first so I'd already changed it with HMRC and works and my bank so I'd get paid 
And then the difficulty came because I did the middle name. So uh, I didn't have anything to hand when I'm like in this appointment, which cost me a stupid amount of money and travel. And I said, well, I've not got, I've not been paid yet. I've not had all this yet. I said, well, I've got my app. So I showed her like my bank app. She was like, yeah, it's good for the first name because it's got my first name on it, but my middle initials are on it. And she's like, well, that doesn't count because we need to see the full name. Mm. At which point you're like, who gives an actual, <laughs> like, about my middle name, right? Like, yeah. it's just like, I have it for kind of vanity, but it's not important. So I visited my bank. I went to three, four different branches of my bank to get them to print me off something that had my full name on it. And they can't do it because even though it's online banking, your name has to fit in the little window in the envelope because they can't word wrap. Then you get the little plastic window. They can't word wrap that. It has to be online, even on online statements that they print off for you at the branch. It's more about technology because like bank systems are ancient bits of care. I mean, we broke broke NatWest's mortgage system by having a flat. (laughs) <laughs> essentially because we were saying oh you know what's your current address i'm like oh you know it's flat 12 and like oh you can't have that because the address has to start with the number um yeah. so for the mortgage we were at 12 flat road um so yeah but i just found that intensely frustrating so in the end especially because they kept telling me that my deed poll for the passport would be fine and i had to be like no it's not i've just spent 100 pound going to visit them eventually i had to get a bank manager to write me a letter to say this person has an account at our bank and is known by this full name right okay. and that's how i got my passport so don't do your passport first it's like pro tip <laughs> and don't add a middle name because apparently like that was if i just changed my first name i would have just got my passport from my bank app and that would have been fine my driving license for example my full name doesn't fit i don't have both my middle names uh-huh. on my driving license i have first name first middle name and then the first initial of my second middle name so it doesn't fit on the line that must be card. a problem for a lot of people there's plenty of situations where you have a name that long we not we're not really adapted for multiple middle names so different yeah. services have different middle names for me yeah um not that many services no. use my actual full name i'm not referred to by my full name in very many places i'm kind of lucky in that my middle names are quite short in terms of the words so you know people who have much I mean, chad's a very short first name and this is the thing, right? We still kind of have this problem where we've designed databases, for example, to fit a certain number of characters. Because like, oh, you know, a name's only giving me this number of characters. And then you've gone, actually, but, you know, different cultures have different lengths of names, for example. And, you know, different people have different. So kind of some cultures, you have two surnames, but we only accept one surname. So their surname becomes a middle name, which mm. means it gets lost a lot yeah. or it gets forgotten. Or, you know, and they're like, well, that's not, that's not my name. I mean, that's my full name is this, this, this. And I just find all that fascinating that it's super basic. A name is like the most basic piece of information about you. And yet we are constantly getting it wrong. Not just not just in tech, in lots of places. And like name changes are super common. I mean, lots of people change their names for various reasons. And yet lots of systems just can't cope with this really basic fact that I might change my name sometimes. Or, you know, the number of places that still want me to fax something or, you know, or post something. <laughs> I mean, a lot of them will take post as well, but that involves you posting a legal document, which yeah. you may not want to do because it's your legal document. So I paid for copies of my depot. So I could send them off, but some places don't accept the copy. So, so you just kind of, you can't just do it. You know, I was really hoping that you could just like say, you can't just tell the government, oh, this is my new name because I have to do it with HMRC separately. I have to do my driving license separately. I have to do my passport separately. So I worked for a a digital department of a kind of non-tech company, but sort of, I don't know. And when I changed my name with them, I had to change it on every single separate system myself. So I emailed HR and they changed Mm, it on the HR stuff. Email IT, they changed my email address. 
uh, which meant I lost all my old emails. Uh, they changed my Slack username, which meant I lost access to all of my old Slack messages. I had to rejoin all the private channels, which I couldn't remember which ones they were because I hadn't thought. I thought, yeah. oh, they could just change my name on Slack. But apparently either you can't change your name on Slack or our IT admins didn't know how to change my name on Slack. So I lost all of my Slack history. So even months after I changed my name, I was still finding things like, oh, now I have to go and change it in the expenses mm-hmm. system. I have to change it in the travel booking system. It's changed this thing, but not this thing or, you know which is ridiculous. Again, the Depol HR wouldn't accept my Depol unless my manager had signed it and we had to go, no, it's a legal document. Like someone else has countersigned it, like a friend's countersigned it. Because mm. yep. it's not a work document. It's like my document, you can get lost. And they're like, no, your manager has to sign it. And we went back, me and my line manager went back and forth several times and said, that's not how this works. So eventually I had to scan it and then he had to digitally sign the scan and then we sent that off so they'd accept it. It was just, oh, it's so frustrating. Mm. What I found actually is way easier to just change providers of things. So for my mobile phone, mm. rather than faxing my deed poll off to whoever, uh, I decided to just close my account and went with a different mobile provider instead. Because when you start a new oh, account, right, they don't yeah. ask; they just go, "Well, what's your ID?" And I'd have my driving license by then. Like, here's my driving license. Oh, that's great. Is, so it's more difficult to change than just to start a new account in most cases. Yeah. So things like PayPal, it's easier to just close your PayPal account and open a new one. Or just don't change your name on your PayPal account and wait for the inevitable when they catch me and then close my PayPal account. It's my current status. <laughs> so I can change my name on my card and stuff. So I was in my cards attached to it and I change yeah. my name on that. And so, you know, it still gets billed mm. the right name and everything. But at some point, as PayPal do, they will, they're kind of prone to changing, you know, 20-year-old, deleting 20-year-old accounts for some kind of <laughs> minor violation. So at some point, I will lose my PayPal and, account. But and taking all the money with it. Probably. <laughs> Well, it's not, there's not that much. There's no money in my PayPal account. I just use it to buy crap online. But, um, but you know, because they wanted my deed poll or they wanted my passport. And I'm like, well, no, you, I don't trust PayPal. Like, I barely trust them to like, pay things through my card, right? That's why I don't have any actual money in my PayPal account because you can't trust them to do anything. Same with games companies. So, you know, so things like when I lost my authenticator for World of Warcraft. Oh, that's... <sighs> That's painful. My phone died, like absolutely died. I lost the authenticator. And you know, it says write down these codes mm. in case you lose your authenticator and keep them in a safe place. And nobody does that. So I didn't do that. <laughs> and again, they wanted like, oh, to reopen your account, we want your passport or we want your ID. And I'm like, just, just yep. a game, dude. I don't want to be like emailing scans <laughs> of my passport, you know, like, because emailing is not very secure. My, my wife <laughs> still plays under her maiden name and every <laughs> single time. I open up, is it friends? It's not, it was, they got rid of real ID in the end, but every time I open up the friends, her, mm. her maiden name is there. And it's just not worth the ag- aggro, like sending, no. sending off the marriage certificate and everything just yeah. to change the name. I get what they mean, because, I mean, you know, it's it's not that, you know, on one hand, you know, it's just a game, but on the other hand, it's like a massive mm. thing mm. for crime and money laundering and God knows what. But on the other hand, it's just, I don't want to send you my, I'd already cancelled my subscription by that point. I think I wanted to pick it up because a new expansion came out. I think Legion came out and I was like, oh, so I had to start again with a new account. It is impossible to start World of Warcraft with a brand new account. It's absolutely yeah. impossible because the entire economy is based around having mm. a main character that bankrolls you. And so I gave up. If you could redesign society, maybe in a way that would, would make this easier and more simple for everyone that needs to change their name. And it's not an uncommon process. How, how do you think it should work? So the government, uh, I don't know how all this works, I've never tried it, but the principle is, is there's a one-stop shop for notifying of death. So the mm. idea is that there's a government service where if somebody's mm. died, you notify this service and then they go and notify everybody else for you. Mm. I have no idea if that, I assume it doesn't work very well. <laughs> 
but like that's the intent um, and I think that would be super useful I mean it wouldn't change a lot of the work gubbins but just having that just to go okay with my passport and everything's done it should be free I shouldn't have to pay to change my passport it's free to change driving license which is nice mm. something else interesting about names and driving licenses actually is that only women have titles in their driving license wow so your driving okay. license doesn't have a gender marker on it. So it's not like a passport, right? So it doesn't have yeah. like MRF on it. But women have titles on their driving licenses and men don't. There's a, is it, a name is fact for is you. Is there a historic reason for that? I don't, because men are always Mr, aren't they? So <laughs> it's considered superfluous. Yeah, so it's like, well, men are always Mr, but women have, I mean, they have God knows what, Ms, Ms. It seems like we have solutions for this already. I was thinking the process of changing your your debit card with most of these services is easier than changing your name. When when you get a new card through it, half the providers I buy off of online, certainly the rolling of subscriptions, update automatically. Yeah. I don't I don't have to change a thing. It just it just happens. And then you change your name, which is a very, very common occurrence in society mm. and all of a sudden you're gonna uh, have to spend an awful lot more effort to do that than you would change a bank card and you know the other thing as well is that because this kind of first name surname at gmail.com pattern is so ubiquitous mm. uh i had to go through all the trouble of changing my email address everywhere right as well mm. yeah. and even now i'm still getting emails from services that i totally forgot i signed up to like years ago especially when gdpr was a thing you know and that every everyone you know everyone's coming out of the woodwork to go please keep subscribing to our <laughs> newsletters that you haven't opened in like five years but then yeah i was just constantly getting like dead named by services i totally forgot about because i'm going to change your email address and again for a lot of services that is a massive pain especially because we use it as usernames now as well right like it's yeah. not like the cool old days where we just had like a username and then the username didn't have your name in it and so it doesn't matter you know like i've not had to change a load of my stuff because i've still got like quotation you know it's my username yeah. everywhere that's fine but now we all use our real names for everything and all of a sudden it's like oh no i've got to change my email addresses or i've got to change my like domain names or i've got to change like this that and the other and it's <laughs> I, I try to use like an online handle for, mm. for most of my life. In fact, even like I normally get called nicknames at work or wherever else I am. Yeah, I don't. I don't like this idea that you should have to identify by a real world name like that. Somehow, mm. more you than any other handle you would use. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know if it's a weird generational thing because a few people have asked me recently about you know, when I do talks and stuff and I introduce myself and I'm like, hey, here's my Twitter handle and. You know, people say like, "Why isn't where does that? What does that mean?" And I was like, "Well, when I start, when I joined the internet, like you didn't use your real name because yeah. the internet mm. was full of scary people, and now it's still full of scary people. Yep. But like, you, they're scary corporations now rather than you know old men in chat rooms. So you didn't use your real name at all anywhere. No, and and so like, I've always had handles. Yeah, and it's just and you know people younger than me go like, "Why would you?" Yeah, when I when I play yeah. games, I'm still using the same handle that I came up with at thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's yeah, about as embarrassing as you can imagine. <laughs> I think I was Dark Chad 666. So I'm glad I dropped that because that makes um, it sound like a. I'm, I'm staying, staying anonymous here. I'm not, <laughs> not outing my gaming handle on, on podcasts. But then, you know, my Twitter name's kind of become one of my real names. Yeah. And that, you know, it's really easy to trace me through the internet based on it. People occasionally introduce themselves to me. Oh, your quotation, you know, like, like it is my, one of my names now. So now I'm like, oh, okay, so for gaming, I do have a different name. So that if I did decide to trust talk somebody or if, <laughs> uh, if guys on the internet got really upset that there was like a not guy playing their video game and wanted to like dox me or whatever then i do have a different handle for, for video game stuff and then i'll have a separate handle for twitch as well which is different from my other gaming handles just so that i'm less traceable which sucks you have to think about doing that but 
I mean, Twitter's not so bad, actually. I mean, Twitter kind of lets you quite happily change bits and pieces. Tumblr quite happily lets you change URLs and things like that, and that's all right. And actually, Facebook wasn't so bad from a changing name perspective. You just can't do it that often, which is fair enough. I guess these are all services that have sort of popped up in the last 10, 15 possibly 20 years and are maybe playing on newer technologies with with less restrictions or slightly new thinking about about such things whereas uh, when you look at things like banks and passport offices and and older institutions they're perhaps less geared up for this kind of thing i think yeah i think so i mean there was a big uh, thing with Twitter when it first started that the name field was too short and kind of lots of friends of mine if they wanted to use a real name on Twitter they couldn't and people want to because they're, they're authors mm. or they're speakers or whatever you know um, and it's important to do that but then they you know, obviously they extended it when they extended the tweet limit which is just as bad because everyone just fills up that field with nonsense which makes it very difficult for people use screen readers for example oh okay yeah. so if you fill your username up with emoji like a lot of people do you yeah. imagine that screen reader has to read like Chad banana banana winky face winky face you know <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's, quite this has made sure that I'm not going to do that now. I, I haven't, but <laughs> no, yeah. So I think that's it. I also might be a bit tinfoil hatty, but I think a lot of these kind of companies, especially Facebook, can track you now by so much stuff that my name's kind of irrelevant. That mm. for a bank, my name is my main identifier. Like that's how they mm. really. That's mostly how they identify me: my name, my primary address. But Facebook have got God knows how many cookies on my phone my computer my yep. you know google know everything i'm searching for they know everywhere i've been you know like my name doesn't really matter because to them it's like it did, you know i'm person 7030 or something <laughs> so my name's not really relevant it's because they can still tell that oh yeah. yeah we can still show you this advert we don't care who you are yeah it's like it? you're walking past mcdonald's or you know you mentioned a mcdonald's yesterday and we definitely weren't listening in for his mcdonald's advert you know <laughs> that's part of it as well that identity's kind of become a bit less of a we've got a bit less control over it yeah as, as individuals i hadn't thought about that in that way if you've, you've kind of got an identity that you don't even know like behind the scenes there's there's a number somewhere at facebook and google <laughs> that that is you yeah i mean there was the thing with twitter and google and, and facebook actually a lot of places they will gender you even if you don't please tell me your gender is so google because google have anonymous profile so if you're not signing to mm. google it will they'll still track you and assign you an anonymous profile right and Twitter do the same thing, and they, they've changed it now, but where they basically assign your anonymous profile agenda. So Twitter, I don't remember when, a few, about a year or so ago, they've released mm. that now, so you can go into your settings and see what gender and age Twitter have assigned you based on the things you talk about, mm. and then you can change them. Right. So yes, yeah, so they basically mm. look at your name, so whatever your display name is, if it's a male name, female name, they look at what you talk about, and they look at what your followers talk about. <laughs> so, like, it signed me as male because I talk about video games and software engineering. So, that's, that's scary. That, that's the thing. So, yes, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, they, they look at your interests and stuff. I mean, when you look at things like Google Analytics, for example, you know, it will tell you the gender of your audience. Mm. And that's not because your audience have necessarily told them what gender they are. It's mm. because they've guessed based on what they were looking for or mm. things they've already looked at or things they've said, done, their friends, their networks, that kind of stuff. Do not check your Twitter profile out. I can't remember it is, but it's in there somewhere. You can find out what gender you've been assigned. What gender you should be. What gender you've been assigned by the machine. <laughs> uh, and you, you can change it. That's very self-determined, though. Like the reason it's picking up gaming and software engineering as male mm. speech marks, big speech marks, <laughs> is is because of a bunch of history mm. that I'd, we'd, we'd rather hadn't happened. <laughs> and it, And it's perpetuating that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at um, 
there was a thing going around about, uh, so I think it's Turkish has gender neutral pronouns and it only has gender neutral mm-hmm. pronouns and have gender pronouns at all. So there's no he or she, it's just whatever the equivalent they is. And they notice when you put it into Google Translate, Google Translate will assign a gender to that phrase. So in Turkish you'll put they are a nurse, they are a doctor and then Google Translate it to she is a nurse, he is a doctor, that kind of thing. Wow, okay. Because they look at, yeah, like patterns and stuff. So the, the AI is taking on board our prejudice? Yeah, all of the time. In, in the same way, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, not... <laughs> Not great. Not good. (laughs) (laughs) When I did that Oprah Wright's talk about um, adult filters um, Mm. and then kind of some of the talks around about gender as well, like no real name policy comes up a lot um, because it's kind of tangentially related. So trans people will change their name. So a lot of people change their name and their gender mark at the same time, for example. Mm. Or not necessarily at the same time, they might change their gender mark and then change their name later or whatever. So it's kind of a group where those two things intersect a lot. People may also change their name because they're escaping a kind of domestic abuse situation. And those are the groups of people that real name policies tend to harm the most. Mm. So talking about the World of Warcraft thing, actually, there was a thing when they, Blizzard, decided they were going to put real ID in. So like, we're fed up of all the trolling on our forums, which Mm. is fair enough. You're all going to have to sign in with your real name. Some people kicked off because they're like, oh no, my trolling. But a lot of people kind of kicked off because they're like, well, I don't want to use my real name. And there was a great thread where someone was like, okay, then here's my real name and here's the state I live in, do your worst. And like, they found out where he lived. They found out like his wife's name. They found out where she worked. They found out where his kids went to school. They found out all this stuff just based on his name and his state. Yep. Or his name in a city, something like that. He's like, yeah, actually, you know. You can get a lot. <laughs> you can get a lot, yeah. Doxing is a thing. <laughs> it happens and people will use it as a weapon. Yeah, especially if you've got quite an unusual name. Yep. You know, there's not that many people with my name. I mean, mm. Especially, because, I mean, Chad's a very American name, but, you know, it's not a very British name. So mm. there's not that many British assigned female at birth. Chad's knocking about. So, you know, I'm fairly <laughs> easy to find. I kind of think a lot about this. Cause, like, if you didn't have real name policies, then... I wouldn't care. Like, so part of the reason changing names is fairly easy on Twitter is because they don't really have a real name policy. Mm. Um, whereas places like Facebook do. And then the thing is, is that Facebook decides what's a real name and what's not. So mm. there's a famous adult blogger called Violet Blue. Violet Blue is her actual legal, or whatever sense of the word, that's her actual name. But she's constantly getting reported by people who don't like her on Facebook for having a real name. And so she keeps getting her account taken off her having a fake name you know there was a lot of stuff with native americans having their facebook accounts taken off them for not having real names wow so you know so they have their kind of you know, native names or whatever but so it doesn't sound yeah, like, like a like a real name. like a real name like I'm using air quotes on, on yeah. podcast but yeah <laughs> and, and yeah. presumably uh, sound like a real kind of western name yeah i mean it probably i mean i i don't know so it's we had a thing where um i used to run a event for women in code to teach women how to code you're always slightly on edge that guys are going to sign up for it to be jerks and we did have a couple of foreign names i didn't recognize and so you have that thing of going you know like is it something we have to go back to and mm. go actually this is only for women or you know are we can upset you know and like that's that's really hard so yeah i mean there yeah. is that yeah it, it perpetuates a very western idea unicode you know we're still struggling with people with yeah. apostrophes in their name like i worked with an irish guy mm. you know who's an o apostrophe something you know and that breaks yeah. everything I, I i don't know if you've had this this bit but i work with someone with a double barrel surname and they've, they've had problems just signing up for a bank. So many systems will not take a hyphen or a dash or any... <laughs> so 
it's similar to, to what you were saying earlier, Chad, about how they, people have got two last names and the, the first surname becomes like a middle name. Although it would be in the correct field, as it were, if you were reading my name on some systems, you would be forgiven for thinking that my middle name was Lavery, whereas Lavery is the first half of my surname. Because, yeah, the systems just haven't been designed to, to cope with double-barreled names. Yeah, yeah it's just... I mean, double-barreled names aren't... They're not that new, are they? I no. mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know, I know bank systems are old, but they're not ancient. I mean, some of it is to do with the fact that when we started making everything digital, well, even before we kind of called everything digital, we just basically got things that were already on paper and made them into databases. So all of the flaws of a paper system have been moved to technology. Yeah. Do you go, oh, mm. these are all the fields that we want because they're on this bit of paper. This bit of paper will only accept so many characters because, you know, it's a bit of pa- it's a form that's got the boxes in it. So people <laughs> write in it properly. And then we've never really gone back to looking at it again and going, yeah. oh, you know, we've got like infinite hard drive space, right? Why do I need a 30 character name? Not even just length in terms of like, you know, you, it must conform to 30 characters. I know of a couple that when they got married, they didn't like each other's surnames and so decided to adopt a completely new one. And I believe that the surname they went with was Q, a single letter Q. And Mm. they said the amount of systems that wouldn't allow you to have a single character surname. Two letters was fine, but Mm. one letter, that's that's illegal. You're not allowed to have that. Yeah. So people have even put checks in for for, minimum length. Yeah, that's just so... I I get why you want something maybe to not be blank, Um, although I... I can't remember which way around it is, but I'm pretty sure someone told me about someone who either doesn't have a surname or doesn't have a first name at all. Mm. I mean, people set up family policies, for example, you know, you have like Spotify's family subscriptions and things, and Google mm. set up a family thing around time of Google Plus, and that had a, well, you're a family if you live in the same house and have the same surname, which doesn't make any sense because <laughs> there's no, there's no, like say, like there's no legal requirement for you to take your husband's name or your wife's name. Yep. There's no legal requirement for your kids to have your surname, either surname. But give each child a completely different surname if you're feeling fancy and i i think there are some cultures that do exactly that is it icelandic where you get like your father's name with a different ending if you're male or female uh, as your surname my uh stepson was living with us up until recently and he had a different surname than both of the people who were i suppose parental units i think that was what we we got called (laughs) (laughs) it didn't cause any problems but the names are not conforming to the standard rules that you would expect. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I think it's Quebec where their convention is that you don't ever change your surname, even when you get married. And there was a couple who wanted, the wife wanted to change her surname to her husband's surname when they got married and they couldn't do it. They had to go through the courts to get that changed. Because even though I've complained about names for a while, you know, we're lucky that we still don't even have to have a depot. A lot of countries you have to go to a court and prove your case. And if your court wow. says your case isn't good enough, then sucks you know a lot of countries have a legal list of names which you parents choose from essentially when you're born there's yep. a, there's, a, there's, a, you know, there's a limit to legal names and we're quite free with, with <laughs> names and things you can have unless it's i don't think there's any i think the only rules that have been if there was that kid in, in ireland they want to call a kid for real but with the numerical four okay and they said we well, can't do that but the reason you can't do that obviously is because no one's database is going to accept it i've got a feeling that the only uh, perhaps the only rule that i've heard of in the uk is that it, it's not allowed to be obscene and, and that's kind of about it. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Or, or it's not misleading in terms of you've called yourself a title as your name. So if you've... Okay. So you can't call a kid sir, for example, you know, in order to... Or call yourself sir in order, you know, to defraud and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of countries have rules about your gender has to be apparent from your name. 
Wow. Um, mm. So people have to change names when they transition or they can't change names because I think Risky Beck again, uh, I was I was through the Wikipedia thing like preparing for this earlier um, and they had a case of about 10 years ago where a trans woman changed, wanted to change her name and they said, well, you can't because you're still, because before she got her like gender marker changed. Mm. Like, oh, but legally, people who are still legally male can't have legally female names and that had to go through appeal and that all got sorted in the end, but that's going through you know court appeals to get your name changed so yes I mean that's the thing with real name policies right like if, if you're from a country where it's hard to change your name or you yep. know you're closeted you know, you're transgender but your parents don't know yeah um or your work doesn't know and you don't want your work to know for a while or you don't want certain groups of people to know or you're leaving your abusive husband and you don't want him to chase you then mm. you know the fact that you mandate what a real name is on Facebook is is really dangerous you know there was an incident with a trans girl who got fired in america for and google they consolidated a load of accounts i think so it was there was google yes. accounts having yeah, separate separate things for hangouts or something yeah. and she accidentally texted her boss from her like female name and she wasn't out at work yet and she got fired because you can still do that in wow. america <sighs> you know so th that's the other thing with real name policies as well mm. it's like well actually you know it's perfectly legitimate to have multiple names i mean yeah. celebrities do it there's a thing with michael kane like he's his, that's not his real name surprise surprise <laughs> but he kept getting stopped at airports because they go oh no you're michael kane but this passport's like this other bloke and so he's legally <laughs> changed his name to michael kane so he can get through airports wow okay. so now security's tightened people just look and go you're definitely michael kane he's definitely michael kane right he's yeah. a pretty recognizable <laughs> guy um, and he kept getting stopped at airport because his passport has his legal name on it right okay um, wow so he's really changed his legal uh, name to match because I'm, I'm sure this already exists. Like, there's like probably a falsehoods programmers believe about names. There is uh, a really good false. Uh, yeah. There is a I can't remember the guy's name, which is embarrassing. But there is a really good talk about names because he has the same problem with um, multiple middle names. Yeah. Um. So he was saying when he got his mortgage and his house insurance, his life insurance. Sorry, the mortgage has one middle name on it. Life insurance has the other middle name on it. And when he went to like cash it all in or consolidate it or move it or whatever, they wouldn't let him do it because it was two different names. Wow. Even though it's the same person. <sighs> which is yeah. wild. Yeah. You're also kind of making me think that it's not just programmers and systems, it's it's people as well. That the people yeah. in organizations don't understand. Yeah. It's so based on this physical document that you're stuck essentially mm. with you know you can't really do a lot about it from a kind of technical perspective you can't mm. just say you know and as much as i complain about banks you know they they do have lots of strong regulations about checking your identity and making sure the right mm. identity you know and that's that's fine but work should be better i mean like i worked for a fairly big modern company and i shouldn't have to change my name with 20 different services yeah yeah i just think there's a lot of misconceptions about what a, what a name is and you know and <laughs> how they work and you know what's the depot and stuff like this you know and it's yeah. it's all really yeah it's not uniquely a tech problem it is but it feels more pronounced mostly because i'm signed up to way more things than i used to be right you used to just have a passport okay. and a driving yeah. license right but now i've got accounts everywhere you know you've got an account for every shop you've been to you've got an account for every yeah. game you played technology has amplified people's lack of understanding yeah there's no like one single place where i can go please tell me everything mm. i've ever signed up for yeah you know with the email change as well then that's a whole separate thing and mm. you know and for some places i haven't bothered you know and and that's distressing because occasionally i'll get an email through to my old name and go oh yeah i should probably change that but then you, you see it and you go i should change that and then you're not bothered because you don't get the email again for like five months or something and then you go oh yeah no i should change that it's not a uniquely tech problem i think the things about the things about real name policy i think is a is a really weird tech 
problem because it seems to be the way that tech companies are trying to solve bad behavior on the internet mm. by going well if people have their real names attached to things they won't be asses but no they will but they will yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been on the internet well, for long and like you say you don't need to have a real name you or rather you don't have to use your real name as long as it's a name that looks real for the most part yeah, I mean, because I changed my name on a lot of internet services before I legally changed my name. And that's one of the reasons I changed my name in the first place legally was because I ended up in situations where I couldn't keep the two names separate anymore because I very much used Chad as an online name. And there's lots of people who only ever know me by Chad and never know my birth name. But it did start, when I started public speaking, it did start clashing a lot because I would public speak in my mm. legal name. And then someone came up to me after a conference and went, oh, we were going to follow you on Twitter, but it's just this weird person called Chad with like an anime avatar. And I'm like, oh yeah, cool, I should change that. <laughs> <laughs> so part of it was kind of you know and those worlds started like colliding and you know and that was weird so it was like well now i have to and like if i legally do it then i've only got one name over it thanks for listening you can follow us on twitter at tech underscore point underscore zero we hope you join us again for the next episode